Good morning. Good to see all these smiling faces out there. We've got a few missing, but I know there's some traveling. Let's pray they have a safe journey back. It's good to see all y'all out here this morning. It's such a beautiful morning. It's one of the coolest we've had so far. I want to open up with a little thought from the Bible. Just as the obedience of one Christian can bring blessings to others, the sin of one Christian can bring harm to many others. The children of Israel were rapidly advancing into the Promised Land. They had experienced a miraculous victory over the city of Jericho, and they were continuing toward their next conquest. To their surprise, they met decisive defeat as they attempted to capture the small town of Ai. Just a little bitty town, but it whipped them. They sought God's explanation for their failure, and He provided it. He revealed that someone among them had disobeyed His clear command not to keep any possessions from Jericho. The disobedience of one man and his family had paralyzed an entire nation. Achan thought he could conceal his sin, and it would not affect anyone else. God chose to demonstrate the destructive power of one sin to His people. One act of disobedience cost Achan and his family their lives. It caused his countrymen to lose the battle. Innocent soldiers were killed. His sin had serious repercussions for others, denying them the blessing, power, and victory of God. Your sin will have an impact on others. Choosing to disobey God may cause your family God's blessings. It may cost your family God's blessings. The power of God may be absent from your church because you are living in disobedience. Your friends may suffer because you are not living righteously. Diligently seek to obey every word from God, for you do not know how your disobedience could affect those around you. Scripture promises that if you will obey the Lord, your life will be a channel of blessing to others. So, keep in step with God's promises and His will. And you won't suffer and others won't either. Let's see. Uh, I'm not seeing any visitors out there. So I'm going to do that announcement about where the restrooms are and all that stuff. Uh, Y'all all know that offerings can be placed in that drop box back there or mailed in or given to uh, that... Um, There's a website, and it's printed somewhere on here. Uh, don't forget what's happening this Wednesday. At 6 o'clock, we've got a taco salad supper with all the fixings. Donations will be appreciated to help pay for that, followed by our business meeting at 6.30. And if you plan to be here for that business meeting, be sure to sign in the sign-in sheet out there in the foyer. By signing your stating you will be here, and you do meet the voting requirements. Or if you won't be here, sign the absentee sign-in sheet. And I think that would be the ballot that would be provided for you there to go ahead and vote absentee. So let's see if there's any other announcements. Oh, there will be a video here, uh, Operation Christmas Child. Uh, thank you for picking up your boxes and to those who have already turned, brought them back. So let's have that video now. Thank you. 
Isn't it incredible that a gospel opportunity can fit in your hands? It's called an Operation Christmas Child Shoebox, and it's filled with fun toys, hygiene items, school supplies, and personal message. But really, it's much more than that. It's a tangible expression of God's love to introduce Jesus Christ. Churches just like this, when they pack shoeboxes, have a significant gospel impact around the world. In the beginning, people from this village, they were hard-hearted to receive the gospel. The turning point was when we distributed gift boxes. I saw a great impact. After the distribution, many of children gave their life to Jesus and started with the greatest vision. The greatest journey is so impactful because it's the word of God. I've seen Jesus putting hope upon the children. God is doing a great work. If you want something as a pastor or your people can get involved in ministry, something that has maximum impact in the worldwide kingdom of Christ, I mean, what better thing could you do than be involved in Operation Christmas Child? To me, it's a no-brainer. I have seen firsthand how a shoebox is an opportunity and a tool that opens the door to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. These boxes open kids' hearts to the fact that there's people all over the world that love them, and what it shows them ultimately is that there's a God that loves them. This is one of many shoebox distributions we've been doing on the nation of Kiribati. We have brought tens of thousands of shoebox gifts, and even though it's August, uh, it's Christmas for these children. Scripture tells us, go throughout all ends of the earth and bring the good news of Jesus Christ to make fishers of men. That's what we've been called to do. And that's what I love about Operation Christmas Child. It knows no borders, and knows no boundaries. It's all about sharing the name of Jesus Christ. Each year, around 11 million gospel opportunities are shared in over 120 countries and more than four million children enroll in the greatest journey and learn to be disciples. The gospel is truly going to the ends of the earth. Your local church is having a massive impact all because of the simple act of packing a shoebox. These shoebox gifts create an opportunity for entire congregations to fulfill the Great Commission. With every shoebox you pack, your church is empowering and training churches globally to share the gospel. This is truly the Great Commission in action. I'll tell you those videos just bring back to us what an impact those boxes make. It's easy for us to get those futile things we put in them, but we do need to pray over the boxes we send out that they will, the boxes, the gifts in them, and the message in there will touch lives. Um, let's say a word of prayer before we begin our singing service. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you.
We praise you, Lord, for all you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, for the continued improvement of those that's uh, suffered from COVID. Lord, we ask your blessings on us that this pandemic will pass from us, be a thing of the past. Be with all those that are traveling. Be with those that are still recovering. We thank you, Lord, for Brother Jerry's continued improvement. Lord, we just thank you once again for all you do for us, your love and your protection. I know that quite often we're probably protected from some hazard we're not even aware of because of your love and care for us. Now, Lord, we just ask your blessings on this service. Be with God as he brings us the word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you stand with us as we begin our service singing beautiful song, Shine, Jesus, Shine, Shine. I think our nation needs us more than ever. It says, Flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word. Send forth your light. Let's sing that together.
think Scott needs any introduction. We've been enjoying his sermons. And I just want to say that I enjoyed that skit and that song he followed up with a couple of Sundays ago. That was wonderful. Uh, we know you come from a musical family, so it's not surprising you have a good voice. So come uh, bring God's word to us. Well, good morning. Thanks for those uh, kind words, Dale. It's good to be back with you this morning. Uh, um, he mentioned a couple weeks ago, we, um, uh, Ken and I did that little skit about the, the uh, master key, and we had the, the song. And uh, so it was a good Sunday. But um, a few weeks ago, we studied some scripture together uh, to consider what the church is and what it isn't. Remember that? Uh, I hope we all came to the agreement of not only what the church is, but who the church is. And who is the church? We are. Okay, good. Somebody remembered the sermon title. Okay. <laughs> so that was a few weeks ago. The title of the sermon was We Are. We are, and we are the church. So remember, we read the words of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew, where he said, On this rock I will build my church. So it's his church, and we are his body the church. We are. Now this statement about that Jesus made about building his church was made right after Peter's answer to Jesus's question, who do you say that I am? He said, who do you say I am? And of course, Peter famously responded, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So now that We've considered who we are as his church. 
I believe it would be a good idea if we think about the question Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? But this morning, let's not ask ourselves who we say Jesus is. How about instead, let's look to see who Jesus himself says he is. We've covered the idea of we are. So this morning, I'd like for us to direct our thoughts to the phrase, I am. I am. This I am phrase is made several times through Scripture by Jesus. And each of these proclamations can help us to understand more about Jesus and who He is. So in the Gospel of John is where we're going to be at this morning. In the Gospel of John... Jesus makes seven statements beginning with the words, I am. So you may be familiar with some of those, but we're going to uh, get into that a little bit later. So in addition to helping us get a better understanding of Jesus, these statements also connect Jesus to the Old Testament revelation of God. Do you remember? Remember in the Old Testament how God revealed His name to Moses? I am who I am. I am who I am. This is what you are to tell the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That's Exodus 3.14. And that's God's discourse, God's conversation with Moses on how he's to introduce him, basically, uh, to the Israelites. I am who I am. So in Judaism, I am is unquestionably understood as a name for God. It may seem kind of strange to us, but I am is a name for God. Now, can we see that whenever Jesus made an I am statement, he was identifying himself with God? The Jews of that day definitely saw that because that's why many of the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. It's like blasphemy. Here's, who's this guy? He's saying, I am. I am God. He's, he's like uh, relating himself to God. So before we get too far off into that, <laughs> let's get back to these I am statements from the Gospel of John. And unless God directs me otherwise, I'd like for us to search out God's Word together through John over the next few weeks and, uh, and ask God to, to help reveal Himself to us. And make Himself real to us. And help us know Him better through these I Am proclamations of Jesus. These descriptive statements explain the character and nature of God through significant phrases that all begin with I Am. And these aren't Jesus' only statements about Himself but they do stand out in a unique way, and we're going to go over them over the next few weeks. Each of these I am statements are metaphorical. You know what I mean by that? You know what a metaphor is, right? Have you heard of that? A metaphor is a figure of speech that describes an object or action in a way that isn't literally true, but helps explain an idea or make a comparison. Are you following me on that? So a metaphor it says, here's the basics of it. This is an explanation from a website I found. It says the basics of a metaphor. 
A metaphor states that one thing is another thing. It equates those two things not because they actually are the same, but for the sake of comparison or symbolism. Okay, so metaphor. You with me on that? All right, so I'm sure you're familiar with some metaphors that are commonly used like laughter is the best medicine or she has a heart of gold or you might say she has a heart of stone <laughs> or it's raining cats and dogs all right so laughter is not literally a medicine that you open up the pill bottle and pour out right and um, the girl's stone her, heart is not actually made of stone or gold, whatever the case may be. It's not literal stone or gold. And of course, those raindrops are not our pets falling from the sky, right? So that's a metaphor. It, it makes a, it says something is something, but not literally, but just to help you get the point, right? We've also probably all heard or maybe even been guilty of saying some of these and mixing our metaphors. You ever heard somebody get their met metaphors mixed up? <laughs> it's kind of funny sometimes. I found a poem by Brian Bilston that explains what I'm talking about. So um, listen as I read this. He titled it simply, How to Avoid Mixing Your Metaphors. It's not rocket surgery. <laughs> First, get all your ducks on the same page. After all, you can't make an omelet without breaking stride. Be sure to watch what you write with a fine-tuned comb. Check and recheck until the cows turn blue. I thought I'd get more laughs on that one. Okay. <laughs> Gene's helping me out. <laughs> All right. um, check and recheck until the cows turn blue. It's as easy as falling off a piece of cake. Don't worry about opening up a whole hill of beans. You can burn that bridge when you come to it. <laughs> if you follow where I'm coming from. Concentrate, keep your door closed and your enemies closer. <laughs> Finally, don't take the moral high horse. If the metaphor fits, walk a mile in it. So you're not the smartest crayon in the forest. Keep burning the midnight oil at both ends. You'll get it. All right. So y'all get it? Sometimes these metaphors, we can get them mixed up. I've heard people do that. I've probably done it myself a couple times. But um, it's, we, it sounds kind of like something Yogi Berra would say, huh? Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like him. But as we'll see, Jesus didn't mix his metaphors. He speaks in a way to help us understand him and know him more clearly and know him better. Don't you want to know God and be known by God? He wants that. He wants that. God promised his people through the prophet Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14. So although God's ways are above our ways, we say that a lot, don't we? God's ways are above our ways and we will never be able to comprehend and understand all the complexities of God completely. We can know Him. We can know God. He wants us to. 
The God of the universe is not just some mysterious voice behind a curtain like the Wizard of Oz, right? He is a relational being that we can know personally. He's Emmanuel, which means God with us. God reveals himself to us in many ways, but one big way, and I guess you could say probably the most important way or the clearest way that he makes himself known is through the person of Jesus Christ. In Christ, God revealed his nature, his essence, in a way that could be seen and touched. Jesus, the living, breathing, flesh and blood, human presentation of God. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When John in his gospel was speaking of Jesus, he said, I'm just going to turn there since we're going to be in John anyway. Chapter 1. If you haven't read John lately, I'd encourage you to do it. It's very enlightening for us and helps us to understand Jesus and his deity. But John writes in uh, chapter 1, verse 18, No one has seen God at any time, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. The Son has made Him known. Paul told the Colossians that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. That's Colossians 1.15. And remember when Jesus said to Philip, Philip had asked him to show us the Father. And Jesus said, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show, you, show him to you? So would you, like Philip, like to be shown the Father? To see God and to know him? Jesus is saying, if we've seen Him, we've seen the Father. If we know Jesus, we know God. A major theme, as I mentioned a little earlier, maybe, a major theme in the book of John is the deity of Jesus, who, although He's unique as God's Son, is fully God. It's hard for us to comprehend that sometimes, but in every chapter... Jesus' deity is revealed in every chapter of John. Jesus' true identity is underscored through the titles he's given. And you can find all those through reading the book of John. The very first verse says, The Word. He's called the Word. He's called the Only Son. That's in John, too. Remember that one? A famous one? 3.16. God's only begotten Son. John the Baptist in chapter 1, verse 29, called him the Lamb of God. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He's also called the Son of God. 
A bunch of different titles are given to Jesus. And we can know Him. And the way to know the Father and to have a relationship with Him is to know the Son, who is the fullness of God's revelation of Himself. Jesus has given many titles, and we can, we can find them as we flip through the pages of John. But what did He say about Himself? What did Jesus say about Himself? So let's get started. I've had a long introduction. Sorry about that, cutting into that. But um, let's see what Jesus says about Himself. And we're going to start with the first metaphorical I am statement found in the book of John by turning to chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 35. It's also printed in your bulletin. You'd like to follow along in that, but it feels good to flip through the pages. So if you've got your Bible with you, let's turn to John 6, 35. And just read this first this verse first, then we'll get into some more. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will no longer hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I am the bread of life. So this is our first I am statement that we'll consider. Are you like me? Do you like bread? <laughs> Oh, man, I admit it's a weakness of mine. Um, it's hard for me to say no to bread, I have to admit. Um, probably my favorite thing about school lunches was, can you guess? Those rolls. Oh, man, those rolls are so good. <laughs> I, 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 can still, uh, I can still taste them, you know. <laughs> those, uh, those rolls from the school cafeteria were great. Our son, a few years ago, um, had a friend who uh, taught him how to make homemade bread. And, uh, and he came home and made some homemade bread for us. And, man, I was in heaven. It was good. Maybe some of you make homemade bread, too. I don't know. Anybody, anybody do that? Yeah, it's so good. So if you're tracking with me on this scripture, if I say I love Jesus, then I love bread, Right? Because he said, I'm bread. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm justified in my love for bread. All right. Just follow me on that. I don't have to feel bad about indulging in it. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't saying here that he's a baked lump of flour and water and a little oil and maybe some um, yeast thrown in, depending on what kind of bread you're making. Of course, this is a metaphorical statement. But why bread? Why bread? We see bread mentioned in several places in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus had been fasting in the wilderness, remember Satan came to tempt him? After 40 days of not eating anything, what did he tempt him with? Bread. He said, if you're the Son of God, make these stones become bread. Of course, he didn't fall for the temptation of Satan, but it stands to reason, doesn't it, that that's what the temptation was, bread. Of course, he, no doubt he'd been, he was starving after being fasting for 40 days. Bread is a staple of nourishment to sustain life in our bodies. Again, in Matthew chapter 6, we see in what uh, has, be, has come to be called the Lord's Prayer, you know, in verse 11, 
You can think of the Lord's Prayer. It's probably going through your head right now. And in verse 11 of Matthew 6, it says, Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Praying this is acknowledging that God is our sustainer and our provider. And what we need to sustain life is provided by God. And we must learn to trust Him daily to provide it for us. The Greek for bread in these verses is artos, A-R-T-O-S, artos. It's the same word used in over 200 other Old Testament scriptural occurrences and over 90 in the New Testament, including this I am statement of Jesus that I just read. I am the bread of life. So for a little more insight into his choice of this metaphorical description of himself, let's consider the context of John chapter 6. Earlier in this chapter, we read verse 35, but earlier in the chapter, going back to, let's just go back to verse 1. We see that this is the, the passage about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Let's just read that together. John chapter 6, starting with verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. He already had something up his sleeve, didn't he? Let's see, verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down and Number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Remember, it was 5,000 men that were seated. Likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Wow, what a miracle. What a miracle. Man, it may be one of the more impressive ones. So much so that the crowd wanted to take him away and make him king right on the spot. But I kept reading, verse 15 says, so Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come take him away by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So it's a pretty impressive 
miracle. And the people were all riled up about it, right? We see beginning in verse 22, we flip over a little bit further. Starting in verse 22, the next day, the crowd that had, that had experienced the miracle continued to follow after Jesus across the sea to Capernaum, seeking another meal, presumably. So let's read uh, verse 24 through 27. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, this is the next day after the miracle, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Jesus pointed out their, their short-sightedness. They were just thinking about their bellies, right? Um, they were only seeking physical bread. They had seen what Jesus had done the day before, and they're like, man, we want some more of that. We want to get in on this action. But there was something more important. Food that endures to eternal life, Jesus said. Food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. That's what I just read in verse 27. At this point, Jesus is attempting to turn their perspective away from the physical sustenance of physical bread to their true need, which is spiritual. In verse 27, Jesus tells them about spiritual food that gives spiritual eternal life. When they ask Him in verse 28, read verse 28, Therefore they said to Him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? So they, they ask him, what must we do to work the works of God? Jesus gives them a spiritual act to do. They were looking for something they could do, something physical. What can, what can we do to make the magic work again, can, to get this going? And he, he gives them a, a spiritual act to do. And what was that? In verse 28, Jesus, 29, Jesus tells them, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent, whom He has sent, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. And who is that? That was Jesus. He said, I'm right here. The work that you're to do is believe. That's a spiritual act, right? It's not using your hands, doing some kind of... We feel like sometimes we have to just do something physical to be able to get something, to be able to earn it. They said, the work that you're to do is to believe. To believe in me as the one that was sent by the Father. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus echoes this and re-emphasizes it again in verses 40. So I'm going to skip around a little bit here. Verse 40 and verse 47, Jesus said, 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. So behold the Son and believe in Him. Verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. So here's what is the requirement of us to believe, to believe. From their response, from the crowd's response in verse 30, I kind of gather that they didn't really get it. Because <laughs> it sounds like they were just trying to get another miracle out of Jesus. They say in verse 30, so they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Jesus makes the contrast between physical food and spiritual food and explains that it is not physical bread that the world needs, but spiritual bread. Jesus three times identifies himself as that spiritual bread. I read the first one already, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Also, verse 48, I am the bread of life. He reiterates it. And verse 51, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. In this chapter, Jesus establishes a pattern that continues through John's gospel. Jesus makes a statement about who he is. I am, right? And then he backs it up with something that he does. In this case, he had just done it the day before. The miracle of feeding the people. Physical bread. And then he says, I am the bread of life. So I've skipped around a little in this chapter. So let's get back to verse 30, where the crowd's asking Jesus for another miracle. We're going to read from there. Verse 30, so they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And then Jesus responds this way. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. I'm sorry, that was the crowd saying it. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. 
And then let's uh, read 48 through 50, where he says it again. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. Wow. So they brought up this about their ancestors eating the manna in the wilderness. And Jesus says, here's the real miracle. That was a miracle. That was a miracle with Moses and the Israelites. The manna came from heaven. It provided physical food for their physical bodies so they could live another day. But the real miracle here now is me. Now I am the bread that's come down from heaven from the Father. And you'll do more than just eat and fill your belly and be good for another day. You eat of the bread that I have. It will be for spiritual, eternal life for you. Jesus contrasted what he can do with what Moses did. And he compares and contrasts himself to the manna that the Israelites had eaten. He said, I am the bread of life. Let me read that um, last part again. Verse 49. He's just real blunt with this. He said, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Right? Okay? So it, it helped them for the time being, but it was just physical. Remember, he's trying to shift their perspective from physical to spiritual about what's really important. It's easy for us. It's easy for us to see the physical. I mean, we know when we have a physical need. We know when we're in want of something. We know um, it, it's just obvious, those things. But Jesus is trying to help them. He's trying to help us today through this scripture to see the spiritual instead of the physical and know that He is what we need. Like manna, Jesus came down from heaven. And like manna, Jesus gives life. But unlike manna, the life Jesus gives lasts for eternity. Verse 30, 58. Verse 58. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. The bread from heaven in Moses' day was physical and temporary. Physical bread sustains us for a little while, but Jesus, the bread of life, gives life that will never end. So the crowd, I want to get back to verse 30. The crowd wanted to know what they must do to receive another miracle of bread for their stomach. And sometimes we're guilty, I think, of of looking for the physical act to do, to earn something from God. It may seem easier for us to do something than to just believe. But faith in Him, believing in Him, that's what's required of God. Believe. Maybe we could take the first step of belief and declare like Peter did when Jesus asked, Who do you say I am? And have that same declaration. Simple. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a good first step in our belief. And belief is what is required of God. 
Jesus told the crowd in verse 36, said, I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And then the Jewish leaders over in verse 41 says, Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? That sounds kind of typical, doesn't it? Because we see with physical eyes. We, um, I wonder sometimes, maybe we think we're familiar with Jesus. Maybe, oh, this is the Jesus I know. This is Jesus that does this, or Jesus that does that. And maybe sometimes with our physical eyes we see Him and we're not really spiritually minded enough to really think about what miracle He wants to do in our life. We lose sight of who Jesus really is and the miracle that He is. I pray God help us to believe He is the miracle. He is the bread of life that sustains our life forever. Let's believe Him and have faith in Him. Okay, so Jesus, having established His metaphor and the fact that He's speaking of faith, speaking in spiritual terms, he presses the symbolism even further. Verse 51, he says, I'm the living bread that came down of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. My flesh. Keep reading, 52. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Okay, it's starting to get some, they're getting appalled, right? It's getting kind of gory. Okay, Jesus, you went a little bit too far. That's what they're thinking, right? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Oh, they didn't know how to take that, did they? But what was Jesus doing? He was still speaking spiritually, right? He, he had made it, um, tried to make the transition for them to think not in terms of the physical, but in terms of the spiritual. But they're still stuck on this idea of flesh and blood. And they're thinking in the physical. And they're appalled, really, by it, probably. But remember, this is metaphorical speech of Jesus. And Jesus, unlike Yogi Berra, <laughs> doesn't mix up his metaphors. He doesn't mess them up. His metaphors, he uses talk of familiar physical things to help drive home spiritual truths. So we see in verse 63, Jesus to prevent being misunderstood, I guess he knew some would be misunderstanding him. He makes it a little more clear in verse 63. He said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. 
The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. So he wants to set the record straight here. I'm not talking about physical things here. This is spirit, spiritual things that I'm talking of. Those who misunderstood Jesus were offended by his language. Talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. They were stuck in the physical mindset, ignoring, not being able to transition over to the spiritual like Jesus was trying to get them to do. They were concerned about getting another physical meal. So Jesus uses the, spirit, the physical to teach a spiritual truth. But those who could not make the jump from the physical to the spiritual, who could not really tune in to what Jesus was trying to say, it says that they turned their backs on him. Verse 66 says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. We talked about, in Wednesday nights a month ago or so, we talked about walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. And we're to walk with Jesus in the Spirit. And He was trying to get them to do this too. They turned away from walking with Him in the physical because they just couldn't grasp what He was talking about. But it's spiritual, and He wants us to understand that. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is what we need to sustain spiritual life. Now, like physical bread, I talked about how I like bread. But if physical bread is just sitting on the countertop, I'm not getting any good out of it, am I? It's just sitting there. It's not doing me any good just sitting there. I've got to take it. I've got to receive it. I've got to bring it in. And then it will provide sustenance for me. It will provide nourishment for me. It will um, be good for my life. And like physical bread, just sitting on the counter won't do us any good to sustain our life. So with Jesus, He must be received. He must be taken in by me. He, he must be invited into my daily walk to be my sustenance, to sustain my spiritual life for eternity. I think I know the question, the answer to this question already, but there may be some that the Lord is dealing with this morning even. Have you received Him this morning? Have you just heard about Him and just kind of left Him sitting on the counter and He's not doing you any good? You've got to receive Him. Have you received Him this morning? He is your life. Verse 32, let me read that again. Jesus said, it is not Moses who has given you the bread. That was for the ancestors, right? Given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. My Father gives you the true bread out of heaven. He is for you, for your life. Receive Him today. Let's believe on Him. If the Musicians will come forward. We'll close. I had told them that, uh, and they printed in the bulletin, that I may get to um, the second I am statement, which you could see it in the bulletin, I am the light of the world. So how about we get to that one next week? All right?
So this week, I am the bread of life. And we'll continue some more in these I am statements. And hopefully God will reveal himself to us a little more there. But this morning, if any of you have not received this bread, have not taken it into your life, it is life for you. And I invite you to make that step this morning to do that. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. We're thankful for Jesus, for the bread of life. What gives us sustenance, what sustains our life for eternity. God, we're used to the, the physical things that give us a little bit of sustenance for a little while. But Jesus said, I'm the bread of life for eternal life. God, help us to get our eyes on the spiritual and not get so bogged down in the physical things of day-to-day -day living that we miss out, that we overlook, that we neglect focusing on what is truly important. And that's the spiritual, the spiritual life that you provide for us. God, we're thankful that that was provided for us through Jesus. God, I pray that there's anyone here today that hasn't received him, that today will be their day. And that they can enjoy that promise of eternal life that you give us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? <clears throat> Gentle shepherd. words of challenge. Before we close in prayer, I just want to remind you, if you haven't signed uh, uh, sign up sheets in the foyer, do that for the business meeting. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you, Lord, for being the bread of life, giving us eternal life. Help us, Lord, to go out and share our witness with others to bring more 
people into your family. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.